Today's episode of Anything is Potable is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, Stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to anything.robinhood.com. That's anything.robinhood.com. Please note that all investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation for any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations, annual percent yield, on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause. Welcome to Anything is Potable, the Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Network. It is way too early for that announcement. It is very early. This is breakfast with the kid. Uh, you know what? Some people got to get right to the, uh, their I, business. I was asleep after a game night. Game nights are like, you're always working until about 1 o'clock. And I just woke up to Packard banging on the door of my apartment. I brought you coffee, which apparently you're uh, unable to handle right now. But that was the voice of... The kid, the god, the legend, Jay King, Celtics beat reporter for The Athletic. We're sitting here in his apartment. I am pumped and jacked after the Celtics absolutely destroyed uh, rival Los Angeles Lakers by 32 points last night. My name is Sam Jam Packard. I'm a professional Boston Celtics fan. Uh, I don't think Jay likes it when I call myself that, but I continue to do so. Uh... We are here on Anything is Potable. Please. I think it's funny. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I was a little iffy about it. See, it's like kind of a douchey moniker, but... It's definitely a douchey moniker, but it's hilarious. All right, cool, 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 cool. We are Anything is Potable. If you like us, please subscribe. Give us five stars. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that place. You guys know uh, how to listen to podcasts and what we tell you at the beginning. Please, if you want to listen, uh, read Jay or listen to our additional episodes on The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash... Anything is potable. I believe you'll get 40% off, and you'll get to read all of Jay's analysis and all the analysis from the many great writers from across the athletic network. But we are here to talk primarily about the Celtics bouncing back and bouncing back big time against the Los Angeles Lakers uh, and just completely blowing the doors uh, off LeBron James, 20 minutes of Anthony Davis, the rest of the kind of very bizarre Lakers roster, and I was shocked by that game. I could tell, sitting in the media room before the game, anyone I talked to, I, I was saying, Lakers are only favored by two and a half. That's a, it's an easy bet. I was, I was making jokes about how I was going to take LeBron's helicopter to go to New Hampshire to place all my money on the Lakers. And wow. I mean, and for about a minute into the game, everything looked like it was coming up Lakers. And uh then that things, minute was, <laughs> it was a wild minute. The most dominant minute I've ever seen. The Celtics had three shots blocked at the rim in the first minute and a half. The Lakers had a half court alley oop instantly. Like 
it was as quick as I've ever seen an alley oop. And then the next, their next possession, Danny Green hit a four point play. It was honestly, it might have been the, the single most dominant start I've seen in the NBA. Obviously, you see a lot of like ten nothing starts, a lot of Mad Brad timeouts, a lot of timeouts by the other coach when the Celtics go ahead. That was just like an open hand slap to the Celtics, and they were just down. It was it was a first round knockdown. Like, right off the bat. Like, Mike Tyson coming for your throat. And the Celtics got back up. They got back up. And what, the thing that's wild is that, with, like, in their losing streak, and not, I'm going to refer to it as a losing streak. It's really losing six of eight. It was they, a losing streak. But there was a, there's too many losing streaks in there. Uh, they had horrible, horrible starts to the games. And you, so you kind of watch that and go, oh, here we go again. And I think what really brought them back into the game was uh, the much maligned uh, people want him out of town. People are writing trade columns about him. Gordon Hayward, he really attacked the basket. I don't think his final stats are going to be that impressive, kind of the Gordon Hayward story. Um, but he was very aggressive and kind of really settled the Celtics uh, and got them back into the game. Of, like Eventually, they got it uh, back to like 13-13. Um, and then the Celtics just kind of took off from there with a lot of the... I think high ball pressure, a lot of good defense, uh, and then it's just it's felt like Jalen Brown being just homicidal. Homicidal Jalen was back and was very aggressive, and I think he kind of carried them um, at least in that first half. Yeah, Gordon hit the three, which was their first bucket. That was kind of a broken possession. He hit like a thirty footer, which was felt like it was big to just get them to calm down a little bit. And then he had an and one. At the rim. And then, like you said, Jalen was just homicidal. I, I felt like he was too energetic last night. Like, it was one of those nights where he was just so excited. He just had, like, like nervous energy almost. But they kind of needed it. Like, the play I'm thinking about is, like, they made a bucket. I think it was just a generic layup. And then he was just so amped up that he was just hounding the inbound pass. And he got the steal. It led to a very crazy... Yeah. Kemba put back that was wild, but well, like I think they needed some sort of energy there. The play I'm, I was thinking about when I said that was when he tried to dunk over, I think it was Anthony Davis. Oh, yeah, that was ill-advised. Was absolutely ambitious. and uh, But yeah, and then he stole the inbounds pass, missed a layup. Kemba batted in with the left hand, which was just a insane play. There were a lot of insane plays in that game with Jalen's dunk. And Kemba's left-handed bat. And Marcus Smart with the left-handed around-the-back bounce pass in traffic. That was one of the best bounce passes of the season for anybody. It was the best pass I've seen this year. It was was, wild. That was a special pass. He was in in traffic. It was like a tight around-the-back pass lefty. So, shout-out to Smart for that. But, yeah, Jalen's energy definitely helped change things. It felt like the Celtics were energetic from the start but it took them a little while to start executing and once they did it was definitely their best game in a long time another big energy guy who was huge Ennis Cantor came off the bench and just dominated the offensive glass the Celtics dominated the offensive glass the entire night and it was largely because of Cantor uh he gets a lot of crap for his defense uh he straight up blocked LeBron at one point there's other times where LeBron, did, uh, you know, just dribbled right past him and did moves and got to the layup. You know, that's LeBron James versus Ennis Cantor. But 
Cantor had just a great energy on the offensive boards. Uh, I think Brad put it like very simply after their game, like the Celtics guards draw a lot of attention, and Anis Cantor is very good at hanging out in the dunker spot, and uh, just he was the one who made that catch on the Marcus Smart pass. Uh, it was a pretty impressive catch too, but he was just very good at being around the rim and getting the ball in the basket, and he had a fantastic game, and he deserves a lot of credit because we've seen him do all these things on offense. And so like what we saw him do on offense wasn't surprising, but he still managed to hold his own against a huge Lakers team. Um, a team that can run out JaVale, AD and LeBron or uh, Dwight Howard got some minutes, although he really didn't do much, but just a giant team. And uh, the Celtics certainly lack in size. And he was one of the like. Uh, lone large men out there who really did something of substance. So I was impressed with him actually kind of holding his own on the defensive end. Yeah, and I think L.A. is sort of a good matchup for him. Any team that doesn't have a ton of pick-and-roll playmaking is a good matchup That's for him. That's the thing. And, like, LeBron is obviously a great athlete and really big and strong, and but he has lost a step, and he's not as shifty as a lot of, like, the little point guards are. And the Lakers just don't have any other like real, Rondo's not gonna real be gifted up. playmaker scorer types. KCP's not going to be like like getting you in pick and roll. Like yeah. they just couldn't. The Lakers are right. Don't have the kind of personnel to expose Canner like that. Yeah, and then the other end though is where I was most impressed by him. Even though he was just doing the same things that always separate him as a player, he was doing it against Anthony Davis and JaVale McGee and. Dwight Howard, and when you're bodying those guys for boards, that's impressive. And I thought his first half was just about as well as he's played with the Celtics. He was just dominating the glass. He was hanging out at the rim and scoring buckets, and it felt like like they needed some of his offensive rebound production because not only does it give you a bucket when he puts it back in, but it takes away semi-transition for the Lakers. And when you're, when they're not getting the defensive rebound and pushing out in transition, they're taking it through the net. It takes a little while longer. It's easier for the Celtics defense to get set up. And so I, I thought Cantor was just maybe the, the biggest reason for their first half success. He was just really, really good. Maybe Tatum, too. Give Tatum some credit because he got really hot. Tatum was going to be the next guy I brought up because he knocked down uh, three threes in the uh, first half, I believe. It was three of four. He actually finished the game. Actually, I'm taking it back. The biggest reason was they all played well. That's (laughs) another valid point. They played team basketball. Great analysis from the kid. Well, I think that your point about the the key to offensive rebounds and limiting transition is that the Celtics' half-court defense – just felt like so much more engaged uh, against the Lakers than it had in the past. And I don't know if that's just styles of basketball because the Lakers don't have like much pick and roll and they're trying to like get the ball inside more. But Brad always talks about getting into the ball and getting like it's a term that's mildly uncomfortable. But uh, the Celtics ball pressure and just it just felt like their their guards and their perimeter defense was really pushing the Lakers beyond the three point line for the entire night. Tatum had a number of uh, steals. It says one in the box score, but that feels low. Uh, it felt like Hayward had more. They just felt like they were getting deflections and really making it difficult for the Lakers to get the kind of 
entry passes to their big like, players might tell you it had something to do with the film session. Ooh, the it was a before. magical film session. So, so this was I wrote about the film session on the Athletic, and it was weird because Brad Stevens said at shoot around we had a great film session, whatever. So I just asked Marcus Smart about it, just expecting like a little detail about the film session, what they were looking at. Marcus Smart is like, this film session was unlike any, <laughs> unlike anything we'd ever had. And turns out they had like a totally different format for it. Where, where instead of the coaches just kind of explaining to the players what was going on, players actually had to evaluate themselves for everything they did during the Suns game. So they would like bring up every possession and you'd see like the ball pressure, whatever aspects of the game plan were on there, the ball pressure, switching, um, communication, whatever else. And players had to grade themselves on whether they, they did each of those things on a possession. And it was just a yes or no. And it was basically like telling guys, do your job. That has some accountability right there. And so, like, obviously it's just a film session. Film sessions happen every day. But the, the players were, like, so into the film session. Hey, you that, gave, that, they, that they I felt up, empowered. I, I ended up writing about it. So here's the difference between uh, Jay King, beat reporter for The Athletic, and Sam Packard, professional fan, guy kind of pretending to be a journalist. I also talked to Marcus Smart after the game, and I also asked him about the film session. He gave me nothing. <laughs> he just... Really? <laughs> well, I... <laughs> He was just like, yeah, it was just a good film session. We just got out there. It's like better sense of urgency. Totally like gave me a, a kind of athlete speak quote. It makes sense. You probably know Marcus Smart way better than I do. I mean, you definitely do. But uh, that's why you're the beat reporter and I'm just the guy in the in the crowd. Um, that's hilarious because all I did was ask him. I was like, yeah, that film session. Like what happened? And he's like, <laughs> so that's hilarious. Well, I caught him at the. I had to wait for Balpet to finish his one on one, and then Ace Rod Blakely, and he was literally eating chicken wings. And I was just like, he didn't want to talk to me, and I understand that. But he did give me a, a decent quote. But I think another important thing, probably more important than the electric film sesh, was the Celtics were fully healthy. Like they, Kemba was back, uh, Jalen was back, and. You saw Brad really shorten his rotation uh, pretty much for the majority of the game. It was yeah, guys. that was the most interesting to me is that he didn't use anybody except Marcus Smart as a perimeter player off the bench. No Brad Wanamaker pretty much for the first three quarters of the game. And Brad Wanamaker's gotten a lot of burn this year and uh, a lot of Shemi uh, Ojale. And it seems like, looking at his recent game log, it seems like Brad only plays Shemi against good teams. That's how it's always been. Like, it's like he'll always... play against Giannis. He'll play against all the, like... He played against the Sixers where they need size. Superstar freak athletes. That's just what Shemi, Shemi is, what he's always been. And I think it gets to a point where Brad kind of thinks, okay... We need Shemi's defense, and his defense in this matchup is more important than whatever offensive limitations he brings. And maybe it's a case, too, where when you can play all five of your main guys, you have more offense on the court. And Oh, yeah. Brad definitely did a thing where he's staggering, and it felt like two of the main five guys were on the court at all times. And yeah, that... and, and Kemba was a little limited. There was one time when he used Kemba and Tatum off the bench to start the second quarter with a second unit. I don't know if they've ever done that this season. So that was that was a new look and 
that felt totally matchup dependent. Like the Lakers came back with LeBron and AD, and a normal bench lineup probably wouldn't have been good enough. So that that felt like Brad looked ahead at that moment and was like, okay, we're going to need Kemba and Tatum both at the same time in this one. Um, but yeah, definitely some some interesting rotation stuff from Brad. Well, it feels like the the Celtics. This is like the the ceiling of what they could be. But as soon as you take one of those guys out of the lineup, I think it has the this big impact on the team because uh, it just makes their margin for error so much smaller, and it exposes guys on the bench to just more minutes. And you've talked about their bench struggles uh, for the whole year, especially the their shooting. Um, I think it also has a huge impact on their defense uh, just because whether or not guys are tired or the wrong guys are in there not really making the right decision or there's just not like this belief that like the team can uh, kind of play well and play on a string. But uh, as soon as everyone is healthy, you, they're kind of unlock that full potential. And it was just it was interesting to see. Because Brad, it feels like he's gone to 12 guys some points this year, 11 guys. And just to see him, like, when this game was actually a game, basically just stick with eight. Uh, and it feels like that's a, like that's who this team is. And it just, I think it displays how much health is going to be a huge factor for them um, if or when they get to the playoffs. And it also shows, I think, how little importance Brad Stevens normally puts on the regular season. Because even when they've been healthy, eight-man rotation is not his thing. Like He's gone sometimes, even when they're fully healthy, to like 11 or 12 guys in a game. Like just shuffling guys out there, seeing what's going to work. And this time, that felt like the first game from a rotation standpoint, maybe, that he treated sort of like a playoff game. And you could see how much of a difference it made to have three of the main guys on the court at all times to just have more shooting, more playmaking, more explosiveness. And then not only that, but it limits the guys you bring off the bench. And you don't have to bring a limited guy like Javante Green in or Brad Wanamaker. Or Grant Williams. And, and sometimes, like, the difference between those guys and... Even Marcus Smart, who comes off the bench, is huge, and and it, there's no very few guys that you can help off um, when the Celtics only stick to an eight-man rotation, because Cantor is going to be at the rim bashing you, and everyone else every, is a shooter. Everybody else is a, a shooter and skilled guy. So and Shemi. And Shemi. And Shemi's there not, for not that Shemi's not a skilled guy. Just just not as skilled as uh, those those five. Now, the other thing that I think was kind of different about this game was that the Celtics really got to the free throw line. And I don't know if it was something different about their attack. Um, maybe it was just because of that depth. But they shot 29 free throws. Or only, only hit 19 of them. But 29 seems like a high number. Um, and we talked about Jalen's aggressiveness. I think... Hayward, everyone's kind of did a good job of getting to the rim or at least attacking. I think the they were it really was a point of emphasis, it felt like. And early on when they were getting blocked repeatedly by Anthony Davis, it didn't seem to be going well. Uh, but the Celtics have always struggled to get to the free throw line, and it just felt like um, 
that they, every single person just kind of made the effort to do so. I think there's some, the Lakers were some victor, uh, victims of some ticky tack calls, and maybe their size just like uh, worked against them because they looked like they were just overpowering. But it just goes to show you when you get to the free throw line, better things happen. Um, and so that combined with shooting 16 of 34 from three, that's quite good. And I think a lot of that goes to Tatum was uh, elite tonight not tonight, last night on offense, uh, knocking down his threes, but then also making his layups. That's been a struggle for him this year, and he pretty much feels like he's some, maybe turned a corner, figured it out, because he was like, it felt like they were really putting an emphasis of getting the ball in his hands and getting him downhill. It, it felt like the Celtics as a whole, during the first six minutes or so, made so many bad decisions at the rim. Like... They were going for shots when they should have kicked it out. They were just being way too ambitious with their drives. And then they kind of settled it down. And they, they started moving the ball. And they started attacking from the second side. And the difference was huge. Because then they could use their speed. And then they had the Lakers in space. And then it's not like you're trying to score against JaVale and Anthony Davis both standing there waiting for you at the rim. They're a little stretched out, and I thought Kemba was really good at that. There were a few times he did, like, the Steve Nash, like, dribble in and pull it around and kind of reset, and he was kicking it around. And When they get that ball movement, it's a lot easier for Tatum. And he has he's driving against closeouts, and he's able to you know, big guys are pulled away from the rim. And I think when their offense is executing at that high a level, it helps him. And I do think he's been definitely better lately, probably making more decisive reads on his way to the hoop and and being more decisive about trying to finish, even at a floater. Ooh, he did have the floater. The end-of-quarter floater. Buzzer-beater floater, a rare floater. That's end-of-quarter? Buzzer beater is another way of saying it, yes. <laughs> okay, just wanted to point out that uh, I had just said that. Yeah, but I was adding more flavor to it. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I like the flavor. Another thing I think just adding to that is the Celtics' fast break points. They like Their defense really felt like they are generating offense. Um, they beat the Lakers 25-11 in that. And I can't believe we've gone this long. We've mentioned it briefly, but like the moment of the night has to be Jalen Brown dunking on LeBron James. Like, that was, uh, I don't know. Now thinking back on it, it didn't seem like LeBron James really, uh, he made kind of a business decision not to really contest it, but it was very cool to see Jalen screaming before he even dunked the ball. Uh, the clip in slow motion where it looks like he game-bloused him, like game-blouses, just hanging on him like Prince. Uh, and then I like how you use it as a verb. Yeah. You didn't mean to. <laughs> But it flew. It How flew he game bloused him. Like, yeah. that should be, honestly, that should be a word. It is that, now, baby. That should be in basketball lexicon. It was. It is, and because of Jalen Brown dunking on LeBron. He game bloused him. He game bloused him. He just, that's the sl- and he got teched up, teched up for it. He yeah, got, I that hate was those weak. technical fouls. If you dunk on LeBron James, you should be able to dance on his face. You should be able to... <laughs> You should be able to do whatever you want. Like that is that is a a young man who grew up watching LeBron James, and I mean, you saw on Instagram later 
Jalen posted a picture of him with LeBron with the caption, just simple goat emoji. And so... He clearly has respect for the man, but that's like, if you think that's the goat and you just dunked on him, you absolutely should. He didn't even like, he hung on the rim. Like so many guys hang on the rim. crazy techs. Grant Williams got a tech for smiling and giving a thumbs up to the bench. I think it was DeMarcus Cousins. It was DeMarcus Cousins. On the bench. Uh, Grant, after the game, would not reveal what DeMarcus said. Yeah, you know, you don't snitch on DeMarcus Cousins. No, and even we tried to get him like up off the record, tell us, and he just wouldn't tell us. And so respect to Grant for that. But yeah, that's a wild, just getting a te- hitting a three, giving a thumbs up, and getting a tech for it. It was the perfect Grant Williams tech. Because it's, it's him in a nutshell. Look, he's never going to snap on a referee. He's, I don't think, ever going to get in beef with another player. He is way too wholesome for that. A thumbs up after a made three-pointer is the only way that he, that I could ever see him getting attacked. I am mad at myself that I didn't predict that would be the way he would get a technical foul. And it's it's kind of insane. Like, I completely just lost my train of thought because I was trying to pull up the uh, the picture from it. But great artwork with uh, Grant giving the thumbs up. And then shout out to my guy Skip, who's a ball boy for the Celtics. He went, I went to high school with him. I still hoop with him a, a bunch. Just uh, sipping on a cup of water from just looking on. Avery Bradley looks furious in this photo. Uh, Kyle Kuzma looks like an idiot because he looks like uh, Justin Timberlake with his hair. But just some great art coming out of the game. Oh, that's what I want to talk about. Are you surprised that the Lakers just kind of folded in the second half? Like, just no no bounce back? I know uh, Anthony Davis was on a minutes limit um, or minutes restriction, but they just showed no fight. There was like a two minutes where they kind of bounced back but then cut the lead to... I think it was 18. Like, are you kind of surprised that they didn't... Clearly, this game meant a lot for the Celtics. Uh, Are you surprised that the Lakers, especially LeBron, like his first time as a Laker playing in in Boston, like it wasn't more of a a fight? I would say... No, this is the NBA, man. Like, they've been really good. They've been really consistent. They've been really tough. They haven't had stinkers like that very often it's just the nba like sometimes it just happens and obviously the celtics went into yesterday's game and they knew they considered it almost like a must win they had some urgency all the talk about after the suns game which we'll talk about a little later was about how they need to come out with urgency from the start and like that everyone needs to be focused and locked in and like even, clearly they even were. Brad Stevens didn't laugh off the question like did you guys need this one? He didn't say they needed to win, but he's like, yeah, we needed to play well, and he felt it was important for the team. Kemba obviously thought it was important for the team. The Celtics treated it like like it was a playoff game, and obviously the Lakers weren't weren't ready for that. Um, and sometimes that just happens, like whatever the schedule. Yeah, well, it's just like the Lakers, like fourth game on a five-game East Coast trip. Like you, it's not. It's clearly wasn't their Super Bowl. Like they weren't as as, uh, as amped up to to get it, and it kind of just led to a ridiculous fourth quarter where I'm not even. I don't remember exactly what happened, other than uh, Vinny Sex Pants got an alley oop and knocked down a three. Um. And just, but other than that, it was just kind of a, a nonsense 
fourth quarter. Javante did some dunking. Uh, other than that, I don't know. Do you remember anything else from, from the fourth quarter of that game? It's pretty much just uh, over with as soon as the third quarter ended. Yeah, there was uh, some Javante Green athleticism, which is always interesting to watch. The uh, One of the wildest things about yesterday was it was Kemba Walker's first time beating LeBron. Like, that is insane to me. All the years he's been in the league, obviously his teams have been overmatched by LeBron teams. But he never snuck one win. No. Like, he was literally 0-28. Not even one win against, like, the Cavs teams where they were just, like, cruising in the regular season, yeah. just not trying. When it was, like, Jordan Clarkson and them. No. No. Kemba had never beaten LeBron James. He was kind of funny about it afterward. He was just like, yeah. Like it was, it was great to finally beat him before <laughs> before he retires, whenever he retires. And he was like, "But uh, it's just one one, like one in twenty eight now," <laughs> which is it really is crazy. Like that is one of the most outrageous stats I've seen during my time as a Celtics writer. Zero in twenty eight against LeBron James teams. It it doesn't seem possible. Like there wasn't one game where. Kemba just went off, and... He's very capable of scoring 60 and dominating the game. Like, he did it to the Celtics a number yeah. of times. It's kind of wild that it never happened. Uh, I asked Grant Williams after the game about his record against LeBron James because he's now officially 1-0, and he refused to uh, refused to take that because he said next time LeBron was going to drop 60 on him. Uh, but he another good moment was Grant was pretty excited about getting his first tech called on him by Tony Brothers. He was... Uh, <laughs> He just said, you know, like that's an honor. I grew up around a lot of refs. It's an honor to watch, like, get a tech call on you by Tony Brothers and Scott Foster. I'm not sure all players <laughs> would, would <share>. consider that <laughs> an honor. Only Grant. I'm not sure Tony Brothers is like the most the most beloved. Oh, really, Jay? Are you trying to say people don't like Tony Brothers? I'm trying to say that one time I was watching. This was years and years and years ago. A former Celtic was at practice and was mad at whichever coach was officiating the drill and called him Tony Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, Tony Brothers, not not always the most loved guy, but he has all of Grant Williams' respect. All right, before we wrap up this game, is there anything else? And I feel like I'm going to stick up for Tony Brothers here. Bold, bold move. Because I feel like every ref who's been around for a long time and made a big name, like, just gets hated on. Oh, like, yeah. It's only the refs. If you're known if as you a ref, know, it's you're negative. hated. Yeah. yeah. But and he also has a strong name. Which but I guys think, who are known are typically the ones who are better and who have been around for a long time. You don't stick around in this league without, like, they do evaluate the officials, they do have scoring system, like, things like that. Anything other takeaways from the Lakers? This is the first time the Celtics have seen them. They're obviously like the best team in the West record-wise. They're, they're kind huge. Of, they're huge. They, they have a very odd huge. roster construction. We did, did see, I mean, Avery Bradley didn't really do much. Uh, their guards are just kind of weird. I think Danny Green's just a strong, solid player, but he didn't do much. But Kyle Kuzma was garbage. Rajon Rondo mostly played in uh, garbage time. Uh, and still did Rajon Rondo things, but it's just kind of confused. Like, what is their 
are they just really relying on LeBron James to be yes. a point guard for basically their the entire playoff run? It's not a bad plan. I think they need another playmaker. Like they need to target somebody. They're gonna get Derrick Rose. Who can? There. I mean, that'd be a great pickup. That would be honestly a fantastic pickup because Derrick Rose is good again. But they they just need like a little more juice. Obviously, they've been great this year. Obviously, they have more length than anybody. Obviously, when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you're not going to lack for much. But, like, they just need one guy so that LeBron doesn't have to do everything. Uh, and it should be noted that this was not, this is not prime Anthony Davis game. Like, he wasn't full strength Anthony Davis. I know he got in foul trouble, but this is his first game coming back from an injury. He was still, like, pretty dominant. He still had two blocks, um, but we only nine points, only took seven shots. Like, this is not the Lakers in the qualifiers. were pretty dominant. You re- what happened in the first minute of the game where they... That was a dominant <laughs> minute. <laughs> it was a dominant minute, but they this is clearly not the Lakers at full strength, and so I expect kind of more out of them. Uh, definitely when the Celtics play them next time, I believe that game's in March. Uh, but I, I think we'll, we'll see more from the Lakers. Before we... Get to Grant Williams, Settlers of Catan table, which I'm actually today stepping to Grant Williams, Settlers of Catan table. Uh, so tune in for that later. That's going to be electric. But before we get to that, we we have to talk about one of the wildest performances, one of the wilder games I think the Celtics have played this season. But Marcus Smart hitting what was he eleven for twenty two? Eleven for twenty two, straight fifty percent from deep. Uh, in just a wild game against the Suns, which the Celtics lost, kind of, kind of sullying Marcus's performance, but um, it was special. Uh, for some reason, I, I was able to sit next to you during that game, and Marcus Smart hit an opening three on the very first possession, and I we I think there's kind of a buzz there where you could tell it's like, oh, Marcus doesn't need a lot of like confidence uh, or to start start throwing some threes up. And so when he hits it on the very first possession, uh, something could happen. When then he uh, attempts seven threes in the first quarter, you knew you knew something good was going to happen. And then it just <laughs> it just kept getting better. It, it was electric. And there's, there's nothing like when Marcus Smart starts to take heat checks. And I know for fans out there, it can probably be frustrating sometimes. For Brad Stevens... It can certainly be frustrating, but I love <laughs> Marcus Smart heat checks. I think you were you were downright giddy that that whole game. It it is just incredible entertainment to see Marcus Smart just forget that he's a totally average three point shooter. He is certainly the most average three point shooter who's ever hit eleven three pointers in a game. He is probably the only thirty. One percent, I believe, career three-point shooter who could ever even consider shooting, making eleven three-pointers in a game because none of the others would take eleven shots, and he took twenty-two. <laughs> and the Celtics kind of needed it; they were in a total rut. He was the one guy who kind of gave them life against the Suns in a game that they did not play at all well. But I am. All in on the entertainment value of Marcus Smart heat checks, and I always have been. I just think there's something about a guy not realizing 
he's not a great shooter. <laughs> that is just highly, the highly high confidence and lack of self awareness uh, are fantastic. And, and was, he's gotten much better at oh, being yeah. aware and taking better shots. And he's got to become a better shooter. Yeah, and he's he's done that too. But but there's just something about the the audaciousness. Oh yeah, that goes into every one of those attempts. And and I mean Packard and the rest of the Celtics writers can tell you. I giddy. I I I buzz. I, I I provide the buzz in in the press row when Marcus Smart starts taking a lot of threes. Every heat check, I'm all about. And, and the, my, one of my favorite things is after the game, you know, he's asked the kind of questions just about like, and of course he says, you know, I'd rather have the win. This doesn't mean much. But then he's like asked, what's it like to be in a zone like that? And he says. It's a different feeling. It's like you're out there by yourself and no one is out there with you. And once you get in that zone, it's kind of hard to get out and play like that. And I love the idea of him being in the zone because, yes, he made 11 threes. But some of his heat checks were so far off. He, like, grazed the back rim once. He grazed the front rim once. One time he just hit backboard. <laughs> like, the idea of him being in the zone, it wasn't like things rimmed out. It was like... You just kept chucking, but like you really missed some of those heat checks. Yeah, yeah, and that's, but that's, then he also made like leaners and floaters like from behind the arc. But just I love the idea of him just the like, one heat check was the worst shot I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. But he was in the zone. I'm not even kidding. That was probably the worst shot I've seen in an NBA game. He he wasn't even close to on balance. I think he was trying to draw a foul, but I'm not sure there was any contact at all. The only contact was the ball blasting into the backboard, <laughs> and that's just that's just what it's about. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes Marcus Smart is gonna gonna shoot you into a game, and he is certainly going to uh, take some shots. And it it's funny because the way I react to Marcus Smart shots is because of years ago when he was such a bad shooter and he would take. A lot of the same shots. Oh, yeah. But now he's a better shooter, and he has a much better chance of actually making those shots. His skill set is finally caught up to his irrational confidence. But for whatever reason, I actually react the same way. Oh, I think Celtics fans, uh, growing up watching Marcus, you just see him shoot a three, and you go, no, 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 no. Oh, yes. And he's the classic guy for that, and this was like the quintessential game for that. It was, it was the perfect uh, Marcus Smart game. I th- personally, we're going to get into the uh, Grant Williams, Settlers of Catan table. These yeah, are what, f- what is this thing you just teased? I'm playing Settlers of Catan with Grant Williams this afternoon. Or is it going to be a video? Or are you going to write about it? Uh, I was invited for other people are writing about it. I'm just a known Catan expert, and they needed someone to challenge Grant. Um, but So this is what we do every week. We, we name the four people who deserve to be at that table. Clearly, I deserve to be at the table as a professional Celtics fan. But who are the four Celtics who excelled this week, maybe exceeded expectations? I think the four are very obvious, um, but I'm, I'm curious to th- hear what you think. Who are the four? I think it's, I think it's just very clear. Run them off. Marcus Smart. Bam, obviously. Number one. Yes. Man had 37 points. When his previous career, I was 25. <laughs> he had 11 threes. He had 11 threes. Smart. He had the crazy behind-the-back pass in transition. He just uh, was fantastic in 
both games. Yes. Marcus Smart, number one. Tatum. Yerp. I thought his game against the Lakers was just really good. Very efficient, 10 of 18, 27 points, 5 of 8 from deep, solid defensively, a plus 32. Uh, I think cementing himself as a as an all-star, uh, he has to be there. Yep. I'm going to go with... Got to go Kemba. Ooh, he was not on my list. That's because he missed a game. That is true. And you know what happened when he missed a game? They lost. <laughs> the Celtics went to the hell. The Celtics did not look good. So he deserves to be there because when he's not there, that set of Catan table is just not the same. It had, has one less leg. I was going to go with uh, Jalen Brown. I think he had a, a very solid performance against the Lakers. You dunk on LeBron James, I think that kind of... But uh, he wasn't the best player on the, the floor for them. And he missed the two previous games. That is true. All right. I think there's a there's some but debate the dunk, to be the had. Dunk, the dunk could be enough. I think there's some debate to be Can- had between Cantor. Brown and Walker. Cantor is my last guy. I think Cantor absolutely deserves to be there. Yeah. Cantor should have been third. Yeah. And then we should have picked between Brown and Walker. I would have picked Walker. You would I would have picked, picked Brown. Brown just for, for the dunking on LeBron. But, uh, yeah, I think Cantor just... You put up 18 points and just dominate the first half like that and kind of be the... The difference maker against the Lakers, you get to see at the table. Uh, I kind of liked how Cantor shouted out Tice after the Tice game. Tice God. Like, Cantor signed in Boston, probably thought he was going to be the starter. This has been coming off the bench all year. Plays behind Daniel Tice. Plays, I think, a little less minutes than Daniel Tice. Shouted him out. He, he went out of his way to say Daniel Tice was fantastic. Box score isn't everything. He was really, really good for us tonight, and so I feel like the locker room loves Tice. Tice is a, a locker room favorite. Everyone's Tice, always talking. Uh, Tice talks a lot of shit, which is awesome. <laughs> like he really, I, I, I don't think I knew that about Tice as at least as much before this year, but he's always giving guys shit, and it, it's hilarious. Like he's a really funny dude. But, like, when Grant Williams was 0 for 25 from the arc, Tice was one of the guys, like, just needling him, needling him. When Grant Williams fouled out uh, five or six fouls in 15 minutes, Tice, Tice was there. Needles him, needles him. Like, Tice is a shit talker. Tice, Tice likes giving his teammates grief, and they appreciate it. All, they, they like busting each other's balls this year. And I, it's... What good is a team if you can't bust each other's balls? Yeah, that's. Uh, it feels like a team last year might have not done as much of that. Maybe we're more quiet, reserved. This team feels a little bit more uh, cohesive. Did you hear Jalen Brown's comments on Woj's podcast? Uh, where he basically talked about how much he loved his new teammates and wanted to say Kyrie Irving's name 17,000 times, but uh, was very... had restraint. What he said about Kemba... And basically he said, you know, on the national team, like, we were a disappointment. A lot of, we were taking a lot of heat. And instead of pointing fingers, instead of blaming other people, (laughs) he just, he was very uplifting to everybody else. He said he kept, he kept hanging out with us. He kept talking to us just like it was normal. He kept, I think he said they played cards together after that. He, He said... When things go wrong, that's when you 
really find out what a man's about. And it felt like, it felt like just, it was the biggest Kyrie subtweet of all time. That's that's certainly what it sounded like. And he didn't say Kyrie, and he didn't explicitly put it out there. But let's just say there was <laughs> there was <laughs> could have been a subtweet involved. He certainly knew who he was talking about. Um, before we wrap up, any other observations from? Celtics Lakers, Celtics Suns, this is the, the more nonsense portion. Right now I'm looking at a tweet uh, after Jay, Jason Tatum hit a three late. Marcus Smart with just an elite uh, air bowling uh, impersonation on the bench. The bench was going wild the whole game. This uh, Talking about camaraderie, the bench uh, was loving it, especially Marcus Smart. He just talked about how they needed to smile more. Uh, but it was an, an exciting game. Um, any other nonsense observations? I'm glad I didn't have to listen to Chris Weber because I saw tweets about him for the entire evening. Um, but, and then finally I just got to shout out the JetBlue flight crew. Uh, they came with it at halftime. Um, they did some phenomenal dunks, some uh, great innovation. You can check my timeline for many videos. They brought props, juggling, a bike. My main guy, Lucky, he really brought it tonight. And, uh, you know, I recently learned that the, the JBFC uses my tweets as fuel. Uh, they'll read my tweets out loud before they perform, and I'm just glad that like I could just bring some good into this world. That's uh, seems to be giving yourself a lot of credit there. I they literally the captain of the JBFC who is not lucky, and would read my tweets out loud after a bad performance and be like, "We got to do better, guys." What have you critiqued them for in the past? Bad dunking, lack of creativity, uh, lack of explosiveness. Last year, Lucky uh, went down with an ankle injury, and the, they just floundered. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm their biggest critic, and I'm their biggest fan. And I think it's just they they appreciate me, and I appreciate them. I was It was actually it, funny. It is funny that you bashing the flight crew has turned into you becoming tight with the flight crew. Well, as soon as I knew the flight crew knew who I was, my opinion of them changed drastically. But last, like, I had talked to Lucky before the game, and I knew they were gonna perf- they were doing something big, and so I was coming downstairs from the ninth floor to go get uh, some the traditional halftime candy, and I realized the flight crew was about to perform, and so I had to go out and get like support my guys and get out on the court, and I just like I'm walking there, I blow past Snoop Dogg who was in the crowd, uh, I blow past David Ortiz. I was singularly focused on going to get some, uh, watch the flight crew, and it didn't even matter to that Warren G was just there looking 75 years old. It was just, it was a, it was a very important moment. Uh, but Snoop Dogg was there last night. He got booed a little bit because once people realized he was a Lakers fan, uh, but it was a, an electric environment. I'm glad you appreciated that it that much. Thank you. I personally would put Snoop Dogg and David Ortiz, like, Super high and super high is a good way to crew. Not that high. Uh, one, I think both Ortiz and Snoop left at halftime, uh, and the JetBlue flight crew did multiple dunks involving flips and dips and crazy bicycle tricks, uh, and they did not fail like that coward Red Panda. So. You and I, we have different priorities. You're uh, a beat reporter. I'm a, I'm a fan. You know, that's what makes makes this podcast great. We get, we offer different perspectives. Yeah. So if you enjoy this podcast, some of us enjoy legends. Some of us enjoy different. Some types of, of us legends. enjoy creating legends. 
Do you think you're creating legends out of the JetBlue flight crew? I think I am. I think we're they're, they're well. They're legends way. of their own. That's what I'm trying to say. But they, you're not more, creating them. They're... I'm inspiring them. <laughs> <laughs> you think if I didn't exist, what they did last day would have happened? All right. No. What else is on your junk drawer? No, I'm I'm good. I'm done. I was gonna wrap it up. I just want to give a shout out to my guy Skip again for being in that uh, fantastic uh, shot of Grant Williams. There was, a thumbs up. There was an Alex Caruso, like big head. Oh, in the crowd? In the crowd, which I was very excited by. I was, and Taco Fall was in the building, as one as one writer pointed out. He's like, yep, Caruso and Fall in the building? That's about 2.3 million all-star <laughs> votes right there. I like how Caruso's whiteness and baldness is basically equal to Taco being seven foot six, like in kind of being a... A thing that entertains people. It's like those are two kind of anomalies that uh, fans give equal credence. Yeah, and that's and that's a societal observation right there. They both play for respected franchises, which I think is important with a lot of fans. If they were like on Memphis or I don't know, I think Taco would get love no matter where he goes. The fact that Caruso's on the Lakers. I didn't mean to disparage Sacramento yeah, fans. It's King, King's fans are good. Fans. King fans are legit. Sacramento's a terrible city, though. I didn't say it, but I did not but, say it. But you agreed with it. All right. I think once we got to the point where we're disparaging entire cities, I think it's time to wrap up. Uh, if you've enjoyed our show, please subscribe, rate us five stars, tell a friend. And you're talking to a friend, you're like, hey, do you like the Celtics? They're like, yeah, you like the Celtics. Do you like podcasts? Yeah, I like podcasts. Then you should listen to Anything is Potable, uh, the podcast from The Athletic. Uh Again, like, like us, subscribe, tell a friend, subscribe to The Athletic if you want to read more Jay King at theathletic.com slash anything is potable. Thank you for listening and we'll join you back for a subscriber only episode later in the week. This has been another episode of Anything is Potable!